Amen. Let us turn together in God's Word to the Old Testament Scriptures, turning to the prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah and the chapter 29. The 29th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. And we are going to commence our reading at the first verse of the chapter. Jeremiah 29 and the verse 1. And let us hear God's word together. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives, and to the priests, and to the prophets, and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. After that, Jeconiah the king and the queen and the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, and the carpenters and the smiths were departed from Jerusalem by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent on to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. 
Amen. We lend there at verse 14, and may the Lord add his own blessing to this public reading from his own precious and infallible word. I would Amen. We're turning together once again in God's word to Jeremiah and to the chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. And there's a verse of scripture that the Lord has laid upon my heart for this gospel meeting this evening. And I was preparing uh, that message for this evening throughout the week. And yesterday in the afternoon, I went along to the opening of the new extension at our Lisburn Church, and I got a strange confirmation for my message this evening, because just as you go into the entrance of the new complex, uh, there's a gospel text that is emblazoned on the wall in very large letters. And I was surprised to see that it was Jeremiah chapter 29 and the verse 11. And that's the verse that I would like to leave before you this evening. Verse 11 reads, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. The title of the message this evening is God's Thoughts to Captive Souls. God's thoughts to captive souls. Let's just unite together in a brief word of prayer and ask the Lord for help as we come to the ministry of his word this evening. Our eternal God and our loving Father, we do thank thee for this thy day and for every blessing that we have received from thy hand already. And we do thank thee, our Father, that we can turn together to thy precious word. And we rejoice, O God, that thy word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we would ask, O God, as we consider that word together tonight in this gospel meeting, that it might prove to be a blessing to each and to every heart. And Father, if there be a soul here that is not right with God, or perhaps even listening on to the service we pray, O God, that Thou would speak, speak powerfully, O God, this evening. Speak with that voice that wakes the dead and cause a people to hear tonight to the glory and honor of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask these things in His great name. Amen. Well, as a result of their sin and rebellion, God's ancient people were carried away captive by Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon. And while they were being held captive there in Babylon, the Lord sent them a message through Jeremiah. That message would come to them in the form of a letter. And if you look there at the opening verse of the chapter, it says, now these are the words of the letter. And so there's a letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem onto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives. And so the Lord wants to send those captives a message. 
and he uses the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah would have penned that letter. And then that letter was to be delivered by two individuals. And they're mentioned there in verse 3. The letter would be taken by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah. And so this message from the Lord that would take the form of a letter sent by the prophet Jeremiah, delivered by those two individuals. But what about the content of that letter? Well, of course, the details are contained in the verses that we have read together and in this chapter. And we find that God was wanting to reassure those captive souls that he had not cast them away forever. In actual fact, the Lord is wanting to assure them that he was actually thinking about them. Maybe there's been a time when you know an individual who's going through a difficult period. Maybe they are going through a time of illness, or maybe they have gone through a time of bereavement, and you're wanting to send them a message. Sometimes it would be with a letter or with a card, or in this day and age it could be by WhatsApp or by text message or by email, and you may include the words in that message, I will be thinking about you. It's a natural thing to say when someone is going through that difficult period, I will be thinking about you. You know, that's a great encouragement. That's a word of comfort to the heart of that individual. Well, here, in a much greater sense, it's the Lord who is saying that. And the Lord is saying to these captive souls, I'll be thinking about you. You notice how it's put in our text there in verse 11. The Lord is saying, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. I know the thoughts that I think toward you. The Lord was remembering his people and the Lord was thinking about his people and how pleasant a thought that is. But there they were having sinned and rebelled against the Lord, having been carried away captive by Nebuchadnezzar, and they're there in the land of Babylon. The Lord wants them to know that he still remembers them. In fact, the Lord never forgets his people. Never forgets his people. And who could really, who could really enter into the mind of the Lord and the thoughts of the Lord? Over in Romans chapter 11, the verse 34, the apostle asked the question, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? And yet the Lord here in Jeremiah 29 and the verse 11, he's saying, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. And that word think there in the original language of the Old Testament, it means to weave together. 
And you can just imagine the thought that that brings to our minds here within the very mind of deity, within the mind of God himself. He's weaving all of those thoughts together and those thoughts are toward us. I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Those thoughts that are coming in our direction. The thoughts of the Lord that are toward us. There's times we may feel so insignificant in this world. And so many millions and billions of people, and yet the Lord could bring it right down to each individual, and the Lord could be thinking about every individual. Oh, he is that infinite God of infinite wisdom, one who is omniscient, one who knows all things, and one who is able to think upon us, his thoughts towards his people. You know, the psalmist David, he really meditated upon that. And in the Psalm 40 and the verse 5, David said, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. David said of the Lord, Thy thoughts which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. The Lord's thoughts towards his people. In the Psalm 40 and the verse 17, David went on to say at the end of that Psalm, I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. He thinketh upon me. And those captive souls, can you imagine them there in Babylon? And they get this message, they get this letter from the Lord, and they can take great encouragement from it. It's a timely word from the Lord. The Lord's thoughts towards those captive souls. And I want to take that tonight just to apply it in the gospel. Those who are not saved... They are captive souls. Those who are not saved tonight are in the grip of the adversary. Those who are still unconverted tonight, they're being held bound by Satan himself. They're bound by sin and Satan, and they're captive tonight. God says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Consider God's thoughts tonight to the captive soul. And just a few points that I want to leave before you tonight very briefly. Firstly, we can say God thinks peacefully. Notice our text there in verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace. Thoughts of peace. The Lord is revealing to us what he's thinking. 
as he thinks in the direction of those captive souls, the Lord tells us it's thoughts of peace. We, we would never have imagined that. Given the circumstances that those individuals found themselves in, only the Lord has expressed and revealed his thoughts to us. We would never have realized it's thoughts of peace. Maybe if there's someone that's very close to you, normally a husband or a wife, and they've lived with you for many years, this is our 30th year of marriage. And there's sometimes my wife becomes a mind reader. Sometimes she claims to know my very thoughts. And sometimes she gets it right. Maybe in a certain situation she could say, I know what you're thinking. And there's times that she would be right in that. But you know, we can never really know what someone's thinking unless they tell us. We could guess it, and we might be right in the guess, but we never truly know what someone's thinking unless they express their thoughts to us, unless they reveal their mind to us. And here's the Lord revealing his mind to us. The Lord is revealing his thoughts, and he says they're thoughts of peace. You know, the Lord in Romans chapter 15 He's given a number of titles in that chapter, but one of the titles is the God of peace. He's the God of peace. And when Isaiah was prophesying of the Lord Jesus Christ in Isaiah 9 and the verse 6, one of the titles there, Isaiah said he's the Prince of Peace. And whenever the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world in the great plan of redemption, the Lord Jesus Christ came to make that peace. The peace whereby the sinner, the one who's held captive by the devil, they can be reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ and they can know peace with God. As Paul wrote to the Colossians, he said in Colossians 1 and verse 20 concerning the work of Christ and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Oh, Paul says, he made peace. The atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the tree, the shedding of his precious blood was to make peace. And when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. His thoughts his thoughts toward us. You know, even when he was upon the cross and there were those who were guilty of nailing the Savior to the tree, those who were guilty of crying out away with him and crucify him. And the Lord prayed as he cried from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even upon the cross is thoughts its thoughts toward those guilty souls was thoughts of peace. The precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only ground of our peace with God. 
And by putting our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and resting upon him alone, we can experience that peace. Therefore, being justified by faith with peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 14 and the verse 27, the Savior said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace. The Lord says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. They're thoughts of peace. And surely the desire tonight of every soul, and the soul that's held captive by sin and Satan, surely the desire of that soul is to know that peace. The peace which God alone can give peace which the world cannot give and a peace which the world cannot take away, but that peace that's found through trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God's thoughts to the captive soul are thoughts of peace. But not only does God think peacefully, but God thinks positively. You notice our text of Scripture again, thoughts of peace, and then these words are added, and not of evil. There's nothing negative there. No, they're positive thoughts. Even though those captive souls had sinned against the Lord, and as a result of their sin, they were carried away captive, and they were being held by the enemy, and they may have feared that there was no hope for them, and they're going to perish. And they may have reasoned that because of their circumstances, God is against us, and God intends evil towards us. No, The overarching picture is not one of evil. No evil intent here. The Lord says, the thoughts that I think toward you, they're thoughts of peace and not of evil. Not of evil. Doesn't that show to us the love of God to sinful men and women? Doesn't that show to us the grace of God to those who are guilty and undeserving? Doesn't it show to us the long-suffering of the Lord, not willing that any should perish? Doesn't it show to us the patience of the Lord with the sinner? And even though here with God's ancient people they were being chastised, it was something that was for their good didn't seem to them at that moment it was for their good. But it was for their good. You could turn back to Jeremiah chapter 24. And the Lord had shown them even at an earlier stage in the prophecy. In Jeremiah 24 and the verses 5 and 6, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans for their good. And the Lord is saying they've been carried away captive here, but the overarching picture, the wider picture, it's for their good. It's not of evil. It's 
Chapter 24 and the verse 6 says, For I will set mine eyes upon them for good, and I will bring them again to this land, and I will build them and not pull them down, and I will plant them and not pluck them up. There's nothing of evil intent here from the Lord. The Lord is saying it's actually for their good. In Jeremiah 29, our Bible, reading the verse 10, For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. The Lord was showing them, showing to them that the thoughts that he had toward them, they, they were peaceful thoughts. And they were positive thoughts. It was thoughts that wherefore they're good. And again with the psalmist in the Psalm 56, whenever uh, the psalmist David here was going through that time uh, when the Philistines held him captive and he proved there in captivity the faithfulness of the Lord. And in the Psalm 56 and the verse 9, David said, When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. Weren't they wonderful words? David said, this I know, for God is for me. God is not against me, even though I may be in the midst of very trying and difficult circumstances. God does not intend any evil through that. No, it's for our good. It is something that is positive. And David could say, I know this, God's for me. God's for me. What an assurance that is in the heart that God is not against us. God is for us. That's why we could say with Paul in the New Testament, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. But as we apply the thought in the gospel this evening, God is acting in love toward the guilty and undeserving soul. The one who's held captive by the adversary of souls. We can say to you tonight through the gospel, Christ is for you. And he does not intend evil against you. In fact, he wants to deliver you and he wants to save you. Oh, the thoughts there of God to the captive soul. Thoughts of peace and thoughts there that are positive. And then I want you to see, thirdly, God also thinks purposefully. Because at the end of our text of Scripture, those thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, they're thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. There's a purpose. There's an expected end. See, God has a plan and purpose in all things. And he has a plan to deliver the captive soul. And we've been reading something of that plan in our Bible reading, and especially there in that 10th verse, where the Lord was saying, I will visit you, and I will perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. 
God says there's an expected end here. And the Lord is thinking with that purpose in mind. He has promises that he has given. And there are promises that he will fulfill. And he's thinking about fulfilling that purpose. And there's an expectation within the heart of those Israelites that receive the message that they would be delivered. There's a day when they would be freed and they would be brought again to their own land and they would be restored again. God's purposeful thoughts. And again, that soul that's in captivity to the devil, it's only the Lord who can set you free. And the Lord can give you that hope within your heart and the Lord can bring you to that expected end. And for the one who accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, the Lord delivers that soul from the captivity of Satan and the Lord sets them gloriously free. And there's an expectation that there's a purposeful end and it ends in glory and will be brought right home to heaven itself. That city four square That's God's purpose for his people. God gives us that hope. That hope in the gospel comes through the Lord Jesus Christ and through him alone. And it brings us to that expected end. Then I want you to see this evening in the fourth place that God thinks prayerfully. You just look at verse 12. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. There in this chapter that we have been reading from, in that 12th verse, the Lord here, as he speaks to them, and he, he refers to his thoughts towards them, he speaks about the captives calling upon him in prayer. And he's saying here that he will hear their prayer. They will get through to the Lord. They will find the Lord. And the Lord desires that those captive souls would call upon him. Call upon him for deliverance. You can see the application in the gospel tonight. The soul that's held captive. The soul that's in danger of destruction, in danger of perishing, you can call tonight upon the name of the Lord. Romans 10 and 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And here in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 29, and even there the 13th verse, there's instruction there on how to find the Lord. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. You can seek and find the Lord tonight when you search for him with all your heart. Isn't it amazing? Amazing to consider that God thinks upon the captive soul. And that the Lord is ready to hear their cry. And that the Lord is ready to deliver them. 
Though tonight at the close of this gospel meeting, I would say to you, if you've never been saved, if you've never called upon the Lord for salvation, then call upon him tonight and seek the Lord tonight. Search for him with all of your heart. And the promise here from this 13th verse is, you'll find the Lord. Though tonight the Lord will deliver you from that captivity of Satan. Look at verse 14 where we ended our Bible reading. The Lord says, And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Seek him tonight, find him as your Savior, and the Lord gives their great promise, promise that will be reconciled to God, will be restored to the Lord, and he will bring us, he will bring us each one to that expected end. May the Lord bless his word to each and to every heart this evening.